Tries Life podcast where we show you that women are capable of achieving incredible things when they have the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. My name is Victoria Smith. I am your host and a stress reduction coach who is all about helping women significantly reduce their stress so that they can actually enjoy their daily lives. Now, today on the podcast, I am so pleased to be joined by Krista Singleton. Now, I think I was scrolling through Instagram and an account I enjoy uh, titled Women Who Hike one day when they were featuring this group of plus-size women who were training to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. They called themselves the Curvy Killy Crew. And I started, I was just so fascinated, I started diving into their individual Instagram stories, which were capturing their training process and why they were each on this journey. Like everyone had their particular motive for climbing the mountain. And I learned about the group's creator, Krista. So in this episode, Krista joins me and we go way back into and start talking about her very first blog, which was titled Fearlessly Infertile. So she documented and talks in the podcast about her journey with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, and how that affected her fertility. And the blog is where she shared her experiences on becoming a mother right up to the process of adopting her daughter. As it turns out, travel was actually a huge part of Krista's recovery after various challenges in her fertility treatments, which is where her second blog, Travel Fearlessly, was born. So we talk about how she processed her losses, how she kept focused on what it was she wanted, the incredible story of her adoption, which came at like a really interesting time in her life, and why plus-size travel is so important. So just a heads up, while the Curvy Killy crew has recently just finished their climb of Mount Kilimanjaro, which, and you can find all of that information over on Instagram, at Curvy Killy Crew, Woe Travel, the tour company that helped Krista create this trip, they are actually running another experience for plus-size women to travel to Machu Picchu. So if you are plus-size, if you have ever wanted to do something really adventurous like this it they they leave in july so you've got enough time to start training and to to really get out there i think you will really enjoy the experience now you can find that link in today's show notes at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 104 now the girl tries life podcast is a proud member of the alberta podcast network powered by atb i feel like a total atb convert now because as you know if you have been listening to this for a while I am one of the businesses in ATB's ATBX Accelerator Program. So this is an intense business accelerator program that supports Albertan entrepreneurs from diverse industries who are in sort of the market validation stage. And we like everything that they offer us is incredible. We have so much curriculum. They are connecting us to like literally the last meeting I went (laughs) to with my sort of coach from ATBX. He said, if I could wave a magic wand and help you like connect you to one person for one big thing who would that be or what would that be and I was like holy smokes like I don't even know like the idea that like they're providing us so much support is just incredible now I am at the time of recording I think I'm about week four of the program and I can't even explain like how far along I've gotten in four weeks compared to where I would have been been in my business had I been going it alone, right? And not only do we have that support in terms of the the curriculum and the connections that they're providing in the coaching, but meeting all the other entrepreneurs that are going through it has been fascinating. And I, I have a feeling I'm going to be connected to these people for a long time going forward. So if you are a business owner, whether you have, you know, started a couple years ago or not, like if, if, 
I would highly recommend that you go to atb.com forward slash atbx to check it out. I think you might get a lot of value out of it. I know I definitely am. The Alberta Podcast Network has some, you know, given that we're talking about being fearless on today's episode, I want to talk about one of my favorite members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is Modern Manhood. So Modern Manhood is, the podcast is basically basically a series of interviews, uh, which are all about helping you understand the many different views of masculinity. And it's hosted by German Villegas. And they dive into some really interesting, interesting topics. Their most recent interview that I'll point you to, episode number six, is Women, Men, Violence, and Hockey. So hockey being one of the more most masculine sports in Canada, so much so that a lot of Canadians feel a certain set of confidence when we measure it up with other sports. But in the manliest of manliest of professional sports in Canada, how does masculinity play with how we view violence and gender? So they speak to Tim Skoos of Brandon University and Megan McCormick. I think I, I just love the topics that German digs into. I think he's not afraid to go there, which is just... Um, we need more of that and we need people talking really honestly about gender and masculinity and what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman on the flip side of that or all that stuff. I I just love this podcast. So I will link to it again in today's show notes, which you can find at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 104. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview. Well, thank you, Krista, so much for joining us on the podcast. We're really pleased to have you. Thank you for having me. So I found you on Instagram, which I imagine is a weird thing for people to say to you. A little bit. I don't really use Instagram that much. I well, I think I found the Curvy Killy crew and then as a result, you know, found the various members. And you have a really interesting I, I was just drawn by your story of sort of you know, your health struggles, personal struggles, and, and the work that you're doing with Curvy Killy Crew or this adventure that you're going on. So yeah, I was definitely inspired by you. Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely been an adventure just planning this trip and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to see how this compares to my last trip on Kilimanjaro. So um, I'm really looking forward to it just a couple weeks away. Perfect. Well, before we get into Kilimanjaro, can I kind of bring us all, well, as far back as I can find sort of on your, your very first blog, which was Fearlessly Infertile, you you talked on your timeline, uh, there, there's a page with your timeline about how in 2002 you were diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. And to be honest, that's something that I've, like, I've heard about PCOS, but I don't actually know how it affects your day-to-day life, like what the symptoms are, what that looks like. I don't, I don't think I'm alone in this, so I'm hoping maybe you could give us a bit of background on, on what it is and how it affects your day-to-day life. Okay, sure. PCOS is, like you said, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it affects your hormone levels. You usually have more male hormones than you're supposed to. So that affects your periods. You get irregular periods, which also leads to infertility. A lot of women have excess hair growth. So there's a lot more routine, like maintenance routine that I have to do on a day-to-day basis. And it also affects um, your insulin resistance. So sometimes you should 
have like a more of a low carb or like almost a diabetic diet to control that. So it really impacted my fertility and we ended up having to do a lot of fertility treatments in our quest to become parents. And that was really stressful and emotional time for me. When did you sort of realize that, like, how early into the process did you, of trying to get pregnant, did you realize that this was going to be a big barrier? Because I know some people, I've had an infertility blogger on the podcast before, and she was talking about how, like, they had to wait to the one year mark before they were able to kind of do anything. Like, did you, because of PCOS, did you know that this was going to be a challenge from the get-go, or did that just become apparent? We did have to, we did have to try naturally for six months. I think that that's just sort of the standard before insurance will start covering fertility medications. And because I was in my mid-20s and I had been living with PCOS for a while, they they knew that we were going to have problems, so they were aware of it. And we started out pretty much like any basic infertile couple starts out with is the, um, the oral medications, um, Clomid, and you just try naturally. And then when that doesn't work, after a few cycles, you start moving up further and further into more complicated and complex fertility treatments. And we ended up having to do a few cycles of in vitro fertilization and frozen embryo transfers. We had, um, we had a couple early miscarriages and nothing was working. They, they couldn't give me an explanation for why I was having miscarriages and it was difficult enough for me just to get pregnant but then when I would have an early miscarriage and they didn't have an explanation for that, I sort of started to lose faith that I could carry a pregnancy to term. And that's when we started looking into adoption as another avenue for becoming parents. Yeah, I mean, you, you say that you were losing faith. And yet, like when I look at your timeline, that was 10 years that you were trying to to on this journey to become a parent like how did how did you keep going through all of that loss it was really difficult and challenging we spread out our fertility treatments just so that I could sort of reset not just my body but my mental health and my emotional health so we would we would space out our infertility treatments maybe once or twice a year just so we could we would travel we would take vacations in between our treatments just to sort of find something to distract us, find something to to bring back a little bit of that happiness that we were losing every time we would get disappointed when we would have a negative test or something didn't, you know, turn out or we ended up having a miscarriage. So it was really hard, but I used travel during that time to sort of distract myself and give my give me something to look forward to that wasn't another shot or another ultrasound because that, that started to get hard after a while. Yeah. I can imagine the importance. We talk a lot in the podcast about stress reduction and mental health and all that. And I, yeah, I can only imagine how important that process is between those cycles. So aside from travel, cause I know not everyone either has the funds to travel or maybe doesn't love to travel, which I have no idea who doesn't love to travel. But what were the what were the other things that you did for your to for that reset like you're talking about? Well, that's actually when I started getting into blogging and I started writing about my 
my journey through infertility and just sort of getting my feelings out on, not necessarily on paper, but on screen. And I found that the infertility community is very tight knit. And so I developed a lot of, I found a lot of friends online who were going through the same treatments I was going through and we would cheer each other on during our cycles and it was great. And, and when I would blog about it, it was just all my feelings. I was just getting it out. Um, I didn't care about what my writing looked like or grammar or anything like that. Really. I was just pouring my heart out onto the screen and in the blogging community and in the infertility community, I found a lot of other people who did the same. And it was just a very healing process for all of us to read the words of other people who were going through the same thing we were going through. Yeah. Yeah. Community is so important when you're going through grief or any trauma or any, any hard stage. So to be able to find that online, I think is also incredible because a lot of people don't necessarily want to share in their immediate community, right? To your coworkers or your friends or whatever. I, right, yeah. right. So it's hard because my family and my friends and my coworkers, you know, they knew how hard it was for me, but sometimes the suggestions that they would come up with, you know, they, they wanted to be problem solvers. They wanted to help me. And, and sometimes the suggestions that they made were a little insensitive. Yeah. So that's why it was important for me to go back into the infertility community because they know what it's like that, you know, sometimes just relaxing or things like that, <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily make a baby. Um, and especially when we were going through adoption, some people would make comments, oh, you know, as soon as you adopt a baby, then you'll, that's when you'll get pregnant and things like that, that are just myths. They're not, it's yeah. not true you know, they, they sometimes get a little hurtful. Yeah. So what is your suggestion, like for anyone listening who has someone in their life struggling with infertility, like how can we support them and be sensitive at the same time? What are the, I mean, it, I guess it, I think we, we have the best intentions, right? But it's, yes, but yes. from, from your point of view, what, what do, what do people need to do to support you in the best way? I think it's important to just listen, to just be the shoulder to cry on and the person who will listen to the venting of, of the, the couple struggles and, and know that you can't fix it. So there's, you know, don't, don't try to make suggestions. Don't try to, to be the Google doctor and well, have you tried this or have you tried that? Because chances are that couple has tried it all. They've read it all. They've spoken with their doctor about all the options and really, at this point, they would just need someone to listen to them when they're going through, especially if they've had a failed treatment. For sure. And even like you document on your blog, some of the, the not just failed treatments, but the miscarriages that you've had. I'm curious, and you, mm -hmm. you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. I'm just curious, how do you want, how do you want your friends and family to refer to those losses because I, I know it's a little different for everyone um you know mm -hmm. you know I see some people you know very much want to you know name the baby that they lost and and have them you know continue to be a part of of their life and their memory and then other I, I guess it 
I guess it is so individual per person, but, and, and then others, True. others just want to move on and. Well, we had lost our babies so early that um, I, I didn't, I didn't name them. I know that for my pregnancy that lasted the longest, it was only seven weeks. We only saw the heartbeat one time and we had done a DNC, which is a surgical procedure to have the pregnancy removed um, surgically after the miscarriage so that they can do genetic testing and everything came back fine. So it didn't yield too many answers for me, but on infant loss remembrance day, I do remember the pregnancies that I had lost, but we don't, we didn't name them or anything like that. It was just so early on that it it wasn't going to, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And ha- so then you went into this adoption process. I imagine that's quite a long journey. How long did it, did it, did it take you from the first sort of paperwork to, to your daughter? Um, I think it took about two years. Um, we were officially on the wait list for about a year and a half. And it's a funny story, actually. We had gotten on the wait list um, sometime around August. And then the next spring, I lost my job. Oh, and geez. I was job searching, I was job hunting all through the summer. And I received an email from our adoption agency saying, your home study is due, you need another one. <laughs> and we. We knew it was going to be about $1,000 to have another home study renewal, and I still hadn't found a job, and we were getting really, really discouraged with the process. We were just so drained that my husband and I talked, and we were like, you know, this this just isn't the time for it. We're just going to put things on hold, wait till my husband got out of the military after a few more years, and then maybe revisit the whole um, adoption process. So we told them we weren't going to, we weren't going to renew our home study that we were just going to let this go. Well, it turns out that the agency in Connecticut that did our home study, our home study would have been good for two years with just within the state of Connecticut, not within any of the other states. And they continue to show our profile in the state of Connecticut. Well, we didn't think anything of it because they, that agency did maybe three placements a year. It wasn't like this national agency that we had been working with that did 300 placements a year. So we spent all of our adoption savings money. We paid off our cars. I was planning a vacation to England with my mom and I got a new job and I didn't mention anything about adoption because that was a door that we had closed. And I was working at my job, my new job one Friday, and I got a phone call from the social worker at the adoption agency. You guys have been selected by a birth mom. Congratulations. And I didn't know what to think. And I had an emotional breakdown right then and there at work. And I called my mom up sobbing because I couldn't get a hold of my husband. She thought that someone had died because I was just such a wreck. And we went home and we talked about it. We were like, where would we get this money from? I don't know if we should say yes or no to this opportunity. And I felt in my heart that if we said no, 
that we would have never gotten the chance again. And so we made it work. We took out a loan against our 401k plan and six weeks later, our daughter was born. So it was really a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, we got, we got to meet the birth mom beforehand. We clicked immediately and we have an open adoption now. We're actually going to Disney World with them in a couple months. Aww. So, yeah, it's it's just been it's just been the perfect situation. Yeah, the the timing of these things is just so crazy, right? Like you, it is, yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of my family they were so worried. They said, you know, what what if the birth mom changes her mind? And I. I said, well, what if she does? I mean, there's nothing that I can do or say that would make her want to place her baby. And there was really nothing I would want to to do or say. The choice was up to her. Yeah. And, and you know, we were just going to be there for, for emotional support. But um, she she was always sure about her decision. And, and we were just, we were very laid back about, um, our weight. I know a lot of adoptive parents, I know they worry about saying or doing the wrong thing, but I, I just wholeheartedly believe that, you know, if, if a mom doesn't want to place her baby, that she's not going to, and, and that there's not much that an adoptive couple can do or say that, that will, will change, change that. their mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And so what was, I'm not sure exactly how the maternity process kind of works in the US. I know it's very different to Canada, but for adoptive parents, like were you able to actually have much time at home when she was born? Unfortunately, I lost my job once the baby was born just because I didn't have maternity leave and I hadn't been at my job long enough and they weren't willing to accommodate that. My husband was in the military and he was able to take three weeks off for paternity leave which was great. And then I just stayed home with, with Charlotte after she was born. And I've been a stay-at-home mom ever since. And yeah. she's six years old now. Yeah. Oh, and she's such a cutie. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. She's just she's just the best kid ever. Yeah. She's so gentle and and selfless. And I can see so much of her mom, of her birth mom in her and she has her birth dad's looks and her birth mom's personality. And it's just so great for them to have that relationship and that open relationship and the love that she has for her for her birth parents. It's just so natural. Oh. And so you nickname her Stink? I do. Is she I do okay. for my blog purposes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um that that was a name that just sort of you know stuck with her in the beginning we wanted to call her Lottie as a nickname and it just never stuck yeah so stink it was there you go I I have a smelly three-year-old I completely get it yeah you know once they hit once they hit two or three that's really all they are you know fart machines (laughs) yeah well thank you so much for sharing that I think it'll be really helpful for for anyone that's going on this journey or has someone in their life that it, that is going through this, I think that'll be really, really helpful. You had talked about how, well, travel was a reset for you, but obviously travel was a passion before. So where did, like, yeah. have, you, have you always been a traveler since you were a kid? When did this, when did this passion start? 
The passion started actually from the infertility treatments. Okay. Um, I never traveled as a kid. Um, my first international trip ever was when I was 26. And the first time I had ever been to the West Coast, I lived on the East Coast all my life. The first time I had ever been to the West Coast, I was 25. So I hadn't been much of a traveler at all. And once I had to move cross country, I sort of went kicking and screaming. I didn't want to go, but then it really opened up my eyes and I began to see like, like there's this world and there's so many beautiful places to visit. The landscape is amazing yeah. and in Western Washington and in Oregon, it was incredible. And I wanted to see more of it. And so my husband and I took our first trip to Peru we did a volunteer trip there. We were there for about a month outside of Cusco. And and that just, that gave me the travel bug. Yeah, once you have it, it's really hard to let go of it. It is really hard to get rid of. And it's, and it's hard on your budget too, but it's so worth it. Yeah. Well, okay. And so talk me through travel with kids because I am also, I adore traveling. Mm-hmm. until <laughs> and I when we traveled with my son my husband's from Scotland so it's a seven hour time difference from where we are here and traveled with my son when he was four months old traveling with babies I felt like was a breeze we just yeah. <laughs> went to the UK again to see our family and seven time zones with a toddler was not fun <laughs> So what, what, I feel you, what are your, like, what are your tips for traveling with kids? Is it, uh, stick closer ish to home and still have adventures or. Well, it's, it's weird. It was so hit or miss when Charlotte was little, we've taken her on international trips. Her first one, she was two years old. We went to, um, we wanted to go to Germany and base ourselves out of Germany and, but we, we were also concerned about the time difference. So we decided to do a three-day stopover in Iceland before we went to Georgia to sort of like break up that time difference. And then on the way back, we stopped in Paris and she did great on that trip. But then we went to the UK the next year when she was three and that was really rough. <laughs> the, the time difference was just horrible. So oh. I don't know if there's like this sort of secret age. I mean, you just have to wing it. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she was four, we went to we went to Costa Rica and that was um, the same time zone and that worked really well. Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Going to Europe, going to Europe is hard. Yeah. It's hard on anybody really, but on kids especially. Oh man. I think we learned we will definitely be Airbnb airbnb it in future so that, you know, at least oh, yeah. sleeping in different rooms, mess. sleeping in the same hotel room, I do not recommend. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> no. So our, our priorities have changed when we travel with kids. Like we spend a lot on lodging just to make sure that we have like the perfect nighttime accommodations yeah. so that everyone can get a good night's sleep. Oh, the sleep is critical. You don't get your sleep, you are not a happy traveler. <laughs> yes, you might as well not go on vacation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So when did you first decide that you were going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? What inspired that? I had met the founders of Woe Travel at a blogging conference, and they had a booth set up there. And so... That sort of planted the seed in my mind about Kilimanjaro, and I talked with them, 
at length at the conference and I'm like, you know, okay, well that, that sounds nice in, you know, in a million years would I do that. But, you know, after a few months, I guess I sort of developed this midlife crisis where I really wanted to do something epic, something amazing, something that I can claim for myself because I, I never finished my degree. And, you know, I, I acknowledge the fact that I, I never gave birth to my child. There's nothing that I could claim for my own. Being a good parent is, is part of a partnership with my husband. So even I couldn't claim that. Yeah. And I wanted to do something really hard and challenging that, that I would push outside my comfort zone and something that I could, could finally finish because I've quit so many projects, so many things in my life. I wanted to finally finish something. And I chose Kilimanjaro. I really wanted to go with somebody. I tried recruiting my friends that never worked out. <laughs> and so that's when, that's when I decided to go with Whoa, because if I was going to go with a group, I would want to go with a group of women, a group of adventurous women. And so that's what, that's what caused me to book this trip. Yeah, <laughs> It was just very much, I had never really done something like that before. I had never just traveled by myself before like that. And so, sorry, maybe I'm getting it confused. The Curvy Killy crew has just been created for this next trip, or is that how you traveled with Woe? Yes, the Curvy Killy crew came out of my desire to go back to Kilimanjaro. When I climbed the first time, I had a really amazing, life-changing experience. It was really profound for me, and it's it's what started my journey to loving myself. And I finally learned to appreciate my body and what it could do. Because for so many years, I just focused on its failures, you know, like, I, I felt less feminine, because I had excess hair and because I wouldn't get periods. I felt less of a woman because I couldn't give birth or have a baby. So I was focused so much on the negatives of what my body couldn't do that I forgot to appreciate the things that it could do. And it was a really difficult climb for me. And I made it to Stella Point. There's three summits on Kilimanjaro. Um, there's Gilman's Point, there's Stella Point, and there's Uhuru Peak. And if you reach any of those summits, then you receive a summit certificate. It's acknowledged by the Tanzania government as a summit. But after a while, I started to think, well, you know, there's room for improvement there. <laughs> I, could, I could increase my pace and train a little bit harder and finish that last 300 feet from Stella Point to Uhuru Peak. And so the Kirby Keeley crew started out as sort of like this selfish reason I wanted to finish <laughs> the mountain. But if I was going to go back again, I wanted to go on my terms. I wanted to go with a slow hiker because the first time I went, I was the slowest hiker. Like every day I was hiking by myself, just me and another guide. I wasn't really part of the group until we got to camp for mealtimes. Right. And so it was really challenging for me, especially because I was, I had already brought 
so much emotional baggage with me on the mountain, the feeling that I didn't belong, that I didn't deserve to be there because I was, you know, I was fat and I was slow. And so when I wanted to go back, I wanted to go back who with someone who would know what that's like. Yeah. And so I just asked around, you know, hey, want to go to Kilimanjaro? Is anybody interested? And there were apparently a lot of people who were interested they, that came out of the woodworks and said, yes, this has been on my bucket list. So that's, that's how it started. I just wanted one or two people to climb with, and I ended up with 20. So it's just been this amazing thing. We went back to Woe. They said, yes, like we'll, we'll make this happen. Like we can, we can do the wrong guy route. We can make this, this was going to be a private climb. So it was never advertised on their website. It was just word of mouth in like the plus size travel groups. And before the one year mark, even it was fully booked. And it wasn't until we had been chatting after a, a couple months that I just sort of came up with the name curvy keely crew hey that's just what we'll call ourselves (laughs) and it was just supposed to be a one-time thing like a one-time climb and then it was going to be over but then it it sort of snowballed into this into this movement almost of of bringing awareness to the outdoor community that plus size people like to be active we like to be outdoors we like to camp we like to ski but there's not that much gear or clothing for us. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. I have, I did a around the world backpacking trip. Ooh, 10, 10 years ago <laughs> as yeah, pre kids as a, um, yeah. as a plus size traveler. And I do remember this very, like always feeling like the outsider, always feeling, um, like there was just always this assumption from people that like you're saying that you wouldn't want to do that, that you weren't capable of doing that. And I I can only imagine how life-changing this is going to be to do this as a group of people who know you're capable of that and are proving it together. Like that's just, I'm, I'm so excited to watch you guys' adventures. Yes. Yes. And I know like, and, and everyone in the group knows like, this is going to be physically challenging. You know, this is going to be emotionally challenging because we all have our, our baggage that we're going to have to unload on that mountain, but just being there with, you know, 19 other women who know what it's like to have to carry an extra hundred pounds up that mountain and to just have that support when you feel like you don't deserve to be there. Yeah. And to feel like, you know, you don't feel like you're being stared at because like we're all being stared at. We're yeah. all there as a group and we are going to get comments and we are going to get looks because who has seen a group of 20 fat women on the mountain before? Nobody. So it's like, we're going to, we have to, like we are the pioneers for these kind of trips, but you know, we want to normalize that yeah. so that in five years time, if you see someone who's plus size climbing this mountain, you don't do a double take. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for you guys. So this is not going to be the last plus size travel trip that you're a part of with Woe Travel, right? Like you're talking about there's going to be another trip to Peru. 
Exactly. Not anymore. We worked with Woe Travel to create this sort of new division of um, of their travel company, and it's called Woe Plus, and it's going to be these adventures that are tailored to plus size people. So we're taking a lot of the the Woe Travel adventures that they're currently doing, like the Machu Picchu, the Salkantai Trek to Machu Picchu, and we're tweaking it. Um, for example, this this trek to, in Peru, we're adding an extra day because there's a really strenuous hike that goes up and over the Salkantai Pass. It's a little over 15,000 feet. And so we're breaking that up into two days. And, you know, it's just things like that. It's it's trading out activities like paragliding that has a weight limit and swapping that for something that doesn't so that people don't have to worry about, can I do this? You know, and because when you're a plus size person, that's the first thing you think of. Oh, zip lining, Great. Let me check out the weight limit. Yeah. And this just sort of takes out that that work. You know, all these all these things are already accounted for. For Kilimanjaro, we are getting an extra porter because our gear is heavier. You know, our, our clothing is bigger. Our gear is heavier. Um, sometimes our sleeping bags are heavier. We're taking a different route and we're getting up earlier to have a slower hiking pace, just things like that, like little tweaks to make the adventure just more fat friendly. And you know, like I don't, honestly understand why businesses haven't like caught on to this like this could be a huge market for them because people want these adventures and the travels like well it's never been thought of I know like in in the past year and a half uh, like because we've been planning this curvy Achilles crew trip for a year and a half now and Allison and Danielle have learned so much from us things that they never considered and I think that that's why a lot of travel companies don't do that because they don't think that there needs to be any accommodations. But when we bring this information to light and they're like, Oh wow, you know, okay, that, that makes sense. But until it's, until it's put in front of their face, it's really hard to, to just know that, that these things need to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited for you guys. And you leave in two weeks from recording from as we record this. Yep. I leave in, yes, I leave in 12 days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so a little, less than, a little less than two weeks. So yeah, I'm really excited. And then as soon as I get back, I have to train for Peru, which is the first week of July. So yeah. I'm not going to have a lot of time <laughs> so, okay. to sort of relax. So what is your training looking like for Kilimanjaro? Because I think a lot of people think, oh, that sounds great, but it's massively intimidating for them. How do you break it down? Well, I started out about six to eight months um, before the hike. I started my training, and it's just gradually built up. I do, personally, I do um, cardio and weights at the gym, and then I alternate with some hiking. This time around, I am doing a lot of the stair climber because I – I've always hated the stair climber. Hate it, hate it, <laughs> All hate of us it. hate the stair climber. And I avoided it completely the first time. And I paid for it yeah. <laughs> on the mountain. So this time I'm just, I had to face my arch nemesis and get on that stair climber. And um, <laughs> it hasn't been fun, but I can really feel the difference when I'm on 
the stair climber versus doing like the treadmill at an incline, I can feel my different muscles working out. Yeah. So I feel a lot more prepared this time around. Knock on wood. Hopefully I won't get like a reality check once I get on the mountain. But it's going to be hard regardless. So when you're having like a bad day and you're on the stair climber, it's just every step like killy, killy, killy. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> when is this over? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, oh. Are we there yet? <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm so impressed though because I've been following the various accounts of some of the members that are that are going on this trip, and and so many yeah. of you are documenting your training process, and it's these are hard, grueling workouts. Like you guys are working really hard. Yes. For this. Like yeah. we're we're taking this seriously, and yeah. like there have been some some comments that we've gotten um but we're really taking this seriously we've been planning this for a long time i feel like this group is so prepared and we're all very realistic about our chances of summoning about our chances of the group as a whole summoning and and everybody in this group acknowledges that you know this journey for us started a year ago when we signed up and And the experience that we've had so far has been nothing short of amazing. We've had training weekends like in Portland and in New York where we've all traveled and gotten together and done hiking. In Portland, we spent a couple nights in an altitude simulation room. So it's just been so great to to meet these women in person before we get on the mountain and to train together it's been such a wonderful experience. And I can imagine you guys are going to be connected for years to come. Like this is an experience that will like has already bonded you will bond you further on that mountain. Like this is your tribe. Yeah. And, and the first time I went, I didn't know anybody, you know, aside from Allison and Danielle, who I had only met for a few minutes and everyone was a stranger. And I came off that mountain with 20 friends. But now this time around, I'm going on the mountain with 20 friends. So it's, it's so different. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. Oh, so excited. So when this podcast goes live, you will have already done it. Uh, so where, yes. where can our listeners go to find out how it went and more information about your journey? The Curvy Killy Crew has its own Instagram account at Curvy Killy Crew. And then we also have a Facebook page. Most of the updates I think are going to happen on Instagram. The Facebook page might be a little neglected during the hike, uh-huh. but you could probably see a lot of our photos on Instagram. And then Woe Travel is also going to be updating from their account as well. So they're going to have photos. But they also have another group, they have their regular group going on the Machame route. So this is a double this is a double group for them. The same days we're summoning on the same day, so we might meet the women from the other group as well. So Woe is going to have like I think 45 women on the mountain at the same time. Amazing. Oh great. Yes. Well, we'll link to all those accounts in the show notes for for this episode. Um, Great. Yeah, no, I'm I'm so pumped to see how this all goes. And last, before we move into the five questions, I sort of wrap up everything with, can you tell us about the July trip in case anyone wants to join? Yes. 
the July trip is about nine days total. And then the trek itself is, is only five. And then you spend a few days in Cusco. Um, we get to visit a local village and meet the women there because Woe Travel is very much about female empowerment. They have a female lead guide for that trip. And then we'll spend a full day at Machu Picchu and I'm leading that trek. There's also going to be another woman named Kathy from the Kirby Keeley crew who's going with me. So I'm really excited about it. There's only going to be 12 spots and I think about half of them are full right now. So if you're interested, you can drop your deposit before it fills up. Perfect. Well, again, we'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. Awesome. Well, we'll move on to our final five. So we may have already touched on some of this, but what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up in a good way? Body positivity and just sort of being fit and being active. It's, it's really done a lot for my, for my mental health. And that's, that's what I really enjoy. That's what I'm really passionate about right now. Yeah. Do you have some go-to, like whether it's on Instagram or whatever, body positive accounts or resources? Yep. There's a few groups that I'm active in. Fit Fatties is one of them. Big Fit Girl is a group um, that was created by Louise Green. She wrote a book called Big Fit Girl. And um, Fit Fatties as well, that group. And I just, I gather so much inspiration from them. There's a lot of people who do triathlons, a lot of weightlifters and stuff in the group. So it's just been nice to sort of broaden my horizons in how I do my workouts and and get inspiration from women who do different ones. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there, I'm not sure if you're a big reader or not. Some of our guests are, some of them are not. But what's mm-hmm. the most inspiring book you've read in the past few years? Definitely Big Fit Girl by yeah. Louise Green. It was, yes, yes. It's been really helpful for me in my in my journey to loving myself and acknowledging that I can be fit and fat at the same time that you know they're not you know they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to check it out. I'm really looking forward to it. What are your go-to methods for handling stress? When I get stressed right now, I usually clean or organize <laughs> um, <laughs> or I go to the gym if I have enough time for that. It just helps distract me and and get some of my nervous energy out and my anxiety. And if I wear myself out enough, there's really just no more room for stress. So that's been really effective for me. There's something really powerful about getting out of our head, right? Like like you're saying, cleaning, organizing, like you're doing... You're taking, no, we got the giggles going on. It's doing something (laughs) physical and moving your body and just that... We live too much yes. in our heads, I think. Yes. And if I stay if I stay still too long, then then those thoughts do start creeping back in and I need to just sometimes wipe that slate clean and, you know, just wear myself out of the gym and come back and and relax and recover from that. And before I know it, I'm I'm not as stressed anymore. Yeah. I had a guest recently yeah. on the podcast who said um that for her Exercise was the same uh, necessity as if you had to take a medication daily, like that it would be irresponsible for her not to work out because it was that me- that necessary for her mental health. 
Yes, yes. And I don't I don't beat myself up about it anymore like I used to. I used to guilt myself if I didn't if I didn't get to the gym and I don't do that because I see it more as, you know, nourishing my body and yeah. taking care of my body. But life happens. Um, you know, sometimes I don't always get get to work out that day or I don't get to go to the gym and I don't worry about it if I can't because I'm taking care of my body in other ways and I know that that when I have time I'll get around to it but stressing out about not going to the gym oh, yeah. is is more harmful so I don't I don't want to put that put myself through that Yeah no find the joyous movement Yes yes exactly So what's the best life lesson you've learned or advice that you've been given Really on the mountain I just I learned that my body is capable of so much that there is so much that I never gave it credit for that once I began to see it as this, this amazing thing, this vessel that can do anything, I began to take care of it a lot better. I began to take care of my mental health, my emotional health and my body. And that's, that's been really important for me. And I feel so much better now that I've done that. And I don't, it doesn't sound, it doesn't feel as much like a chore to me. It feels like something that I want to do. You know, I want to go to the gym and exercise. I want to push myself outside of my comfort zone. And those are things that instead of scaring me, it, it feels great. And Krista, final question is, what does it mean to you to live your best life? Living my best life right now is sort of having the best of both worlds, being able to travel and then having my family life and then traveling with my family. And we have all these adventures together. And then there's sometimes when mommy goes and has her own adventure that, that my daughter and husband aren't necessarily interested in. And it's great that I have the support from them to go and do that. And to be that solo traveler and to have that, that time away to be adventurous. And when my daughter's old enough, then I can start bringing her along with me. And I think the impact that your solo adventures is going to have on her growing up of seeing this brave, courageous, yes. adventurous woman, like there's, there's nothing bad that can come from that. True. She's not really seeing it right now. She sees it as mommy's leaving. She will, at though. at least I'm going to get chocolate covered strawberries delivered. <laughs> yeah. So she she's will. looking forward to that, but yeah. yeah, she will eventually. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Krista, for joining us on the podcast. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you for having me. I know I loved spending time with Krista and getting to know her better. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, please, please take a screenshot right now on your phone and send it out on social media or send it directly to three friends who you think would actually enjoy the podcast. Um, the only way that we kind of grow really is, is through word of mouth. So if you like the Girl Tries Life podcast, if you enjoy what we're doing over here, send it on to the people that you care about who you think would enjoy it also. Okay, have a great week and I can't wait to talk to you next week.